Welcome to the Non-Breaking Space Show from Austin, Texas. I'm the internet's own Christopher Schmidt. And on today's show, we welcome Laura Callbag. Laura is a designer from the UK. She's one third of Indie, a tiny social enterprise working for the social justice in the digital age. Her first book, Accessibility for Everyone, is published by A Book Apart. Before we get started, some things I'd like you to know. Make plans for CSS DevConf 2017 this October 9th through 11th. It's more than just CSS, but it's a lot of CSS, but we cover just a lot of topics from web components, Vue, React, working with design systems, Webpack, and so much more. So grab your tickets now and learn from Chris Coyer, Wes Boss, Mina Markham, Harry Roberts, so many great people, great speakers, all in happening in New Orleans. Tickets are on sale right now at cssdevconf.com. The UX Design Newsletter is a weekly list of articles, tutorials, and inspiration handpicked by me. Sign up at uxdesignnewsletter.com and have the best links for the week sent to your email box. Speaking of newsletters, uh, you can set forget it with a non-breaking space show newsletter. So whenever a new show is ready, you can have it sent to your inbox right then and there. Sign up at newsletter.nonbreakingspace.tv. Of course, you can find show notes and links of awesome resources discussed in today's episode at nonbreakingspace.tv. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Telegect, T-E. L-E-J-A-C-T. As always, thank you for telling others about non-breaking space. Now, on with the show. And thank you for not burning up in the solar eclipse. Thank you so much. Good job out there, guys. Well, uh, thanks for being on the show, um, for being here. And um, in your, you have a new book coming out. Is this your first book that you've written? Oh, wow. So how did the book come about? Well, first, is the title of the book is Accessibility for Everyone. It's from uh, a book part. Yeah. And congratulations. on uh, That's a great publisher to work with. And um, so how, how did the idea for the book come, come about? Well... I wasn't necessarily thinking about writing a book and it's been a long time in the works. So I think uh, Jason Santamaria came to me at the end of 2013 and said, oh, I've read some of the things you've written on accessibility and we think it would be cool if you thought about, would you like to write a book about it? And I mean, for me, that's quite a terrifying prospect, like professional expert people write books uh, not people (laughs) like me (laughs) and so um, I thought about it and I thought about a book apart who had published things like responsive web design for one and sort of the uh, first books on html and css and just really really good reads and I thought well what if we could get accessibility in front of that audience the people who are reading books like responsive web design like that could make a huge difference to the accessibility of the web in general if we did that so I kind of thought well it's not an opportunity I can pass up I want that to be something that happens I want people to be talking about accessibility I want people to be making their sites more accessible and so it's uh, been a long time writing it <laughs> we uh, it's gone through various stages and kind of uh, life events getting in the way uh, but I'm really pleased with what we've got now I think it's going to be a really good book. Yeah, and so uh, it's it's called Accessibility for Everyone. So 
I, I guess it's sort of a uh, just uh, kind of an introduction to accessibility f- for everyone. So it's like in the book apart, you know, the, I think Zeldman talks about the, the books as being like a airplane reads, if you will, um, that, you know, you get on an airplane and you get off it, you have a good understanding of that. So it's a good, good overview of what accessibility is for, uh, for, for, for people. Yeah, that's the idea. I mean, I don't know how whether mine might be a slightly longer flight <laughs> to read. Uh, it's we've done a lot of work to actually get it down to being the most important elements that we could talk about because you could cover a huge amount when you're talking about accessibility. Once you start uncovering the kinds of things that inclusive design involve, so we're not just talking about designing for people with disabilities that's something that people generally think about when they think about accessibility they think about oh how can i make my website accessible to screen readers that's the common thing how can i make it accessible to specifically blind people using screen readers in the same way that when we're talking about how to make a building accessible people will be like oh it's all about how to make a building accessible to people using wheelchairs but actually when we're talking about accessibility we can the different parts of the web that are affected by different impairments, different abilities, different geographical locations, different contexts, uh, different cultures, different languages. When we start talking about trying to make the web inclusive to all of these different things, and I could keep going, keep going, that's the kind of accessibility I wanted to talk about, is really going including specific disabilities and impairments and how to address some of those needs, but also how can we go wider? How can many of the solutions that we might provide for, for example, a screen reader user, how that could also accommodate uh, people who are perhaps using a a translation plugin in order to understand your website. You need to have good text for that. You need to have clearly clear copy, well-written copy, that perhaps might also make it easier for people with learning difficulties to read and understand because you're not filling it with loads of jargon and stuff like that. So all of these different things that that come off thinking more inclusively when you're designing. And some of the everybody part is also the people that it takes to make a website accessible because it isn't just a developer who has to write good HTML and separate out HTML from CSS from JavaScript. It's also about having good copywriters. It's also having designers who understand colour contrast and perhaps people with colour blindness and things like that. And it's also about having people that can create a structure and navigation that are easy to use. Maybe if people have cognitive difficulties or memory difficulties, being able to accommodate those needs as well. Yeah, I definitely would like say like it's by clear copy. Is it's um, you know the, the writing. You know, like I, I've written books for a while now, and in, uh, if you told me when I was in school that I would have written like like a t- ton of books for web developers, I would tell you you're crazy because I would never <laughs> be a person to. I don't consider myself a professional, no. but because uh, uh, like as you said, like you know, web design books written by professionals. I'm like what? But uh, but yeah, and uh, I've gotten more critical of copy uh, as I've, I've as I've written more books, but also I guess as a user in that you know when I read articles for web development and if there's the cliches or there's or, or there's like a vernacular that's more uh uh in a culture or memes or whatever like that yeah uh, and you're and that's what you're using to get your main point across you know you can use it as like a supporting you know 
supporting argument, that's great. But if you want people to actually understand it, and like I like the idea of like you know people are going to come in and use Google Translate to figure out what, what you're what you're trying to say, and if you use something that's really like uh, like a joke that only a few people will get, you know, then you know your your content's going to be lost. Well, even going between our language because we both speak English but you speak a different type of English from me so if I use a Britishism um, or something that's like particular to British culture you're not necessarily going to grasp that as quickly it's the same with things like pop culture references and stuff like that it's just it's not the same everywhere one of the things when I moved to Sweden I started realizing how different things were even in terms of just silly things like oh, you get uh, different geolocated content from me. I'll go on a website and all the ads are in Swedish. Um, yeah. doesn't really matter that my Swedish is pretty rubbish, but I'll still get those ads in that language. Right. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's really, it's also really weird. Like, like when I was in Sweden too, it was just like, I would, I would surf like a website I would normally surf, but then all of a sudden it's just like, they just auto give me Swedish, you know? And I was just like, oh, okay, I guess that's, Kind of cool and weird, I guess, but... Uh, well, make an but, assumption uh, that because you're in a country, you want to shop in that country's store or you want to pay in that country's currency as well as speaking that country's language. And as everyone says, flags are not languages. And yeah. that's a very key thing too. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's cool. Cool statement. Cool statement. Pretty awesome. Um, and then also we'll talk about... Um, yeah, so I mean, kind of tragedy is really important. And so I think that's... You know, that's a whole different topic before. I mean, we've had Christina Halverson on and I talked about content strategy before. So it's already, that's like a huge you know, industry in itself right now. So I uh, also want to talk about like teams and like, um, I know you're, um, we had a, like, like not too long ago, I got a, like, pretty much just this morning, I got an advanced copy <laughs> of your. Oh, your wow. Book. Yeah. I just like literally just <laughs> so got you had it. a little like, skim. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, ah, I, I usually like to read all the books before I interview people, but literally they were like, yeah, we might not have it <laughs> ready for you yet. So, uh, so I was like, so they were very polite uh, and, and, and working to give me a advanced copy. And so one of the things you, you mentioned, like you mentioned earlier, just about making sure you have a team with you. And so what, um, we've, we've done accessibility conferences and this issue, usually with accessibility conferences, people usually, it's like speaking to the choir, like you don't need to convince people. But um, have you ever thought about, um, I, I know if you've written this in your book or your thoughts about this is like, ways to get people uh, to help them convince others in their team or their superior, like their boss or something like that to, uh, to accessibility is important. I know obviously the book as a whole, I think is a, is a good piece to, to get people to, to talk about that, but any like techniques or, or something like that to help uh, well, people? Generally like everything it's much easier if you get this kind of guidance from the top or if a project manager or someone is really leading with this, but that can be quite wishful thinking and it's not often, what occurs and you're you may be a lone developer or a designer that's trying to push for accessibility inside your team and small changes can make a difference like just what you do in your own work can make a huge difference even if it's you're making sure that you're using meaningful elements when you're writing html you're not just slinging a load of divs and spans in there you're actually choosing oh that's a paragraph that's a list and navigation and with html5 we have a whole host of more semantic meaningful elements to use in order to describe things which makes a huge amount of different types of accessibility much better Uh, but i think one of the best things you can do is have a diverse team to begin with Um, not just i think it's very difficult 
this is a hot topic as it should be across the industry right now is that we don't have a diverse enough teams in terms of it is mostly young white cis straight men um and usually with a certain level of education and things like that if as soon as we start broadening out the diversity of our teams we start getting this understanding that there are different people with some people might have impairments some people might wear glasses um i mean you wear glasses, you lose your eyesight by a few more degrees and you're suddenly going to have more difficulty. You get RSI um, in your wrist and repetitive strain injury and then you suddenly can't use a mouse so easily and maybe you're stuck using keyboard navigation. Maybe you just prefer using keyboard navigation and we start understanding that different people use the web in different ways from us. Then actually talking to other people that, that do have disabilities and impairments. Um, just trying to watch people using our websites, just trying to understand how they might do it. You might know someone, a friend of a friend who is perhaps blind. You might know someone who has a hearing impairment. You might want to test different things on your sites with them. You certainly would want to sort of run paid testing um, with people and researching with people in order to understand the wide range of needs out there. Once you start involving real humans in your research, you're going to pick up so much so quickly. You're going to learn so much about a few people, which will widen your horizons to a lot more people. Yeah, yeah definitely. Like I think uh, Matt May makes a point, uh, and I think he's done a great number of presentations. But uh, Matt May's accessibility, uh, I think evangelist would be one, but he's also I think manager at Adobe, and, uh, and so um, he's worked on. Uh, a number of products, products we used to use uh, Adobe Connect, and so it made that more accessible. But uh, one of the things he always says in his speech is like, you know, make websites accessible because you're going to be using them eventually down the road. I mean, eventually, like we all, like hopefully we all get older, but also that means we're going to lose the eyesight, you know, like you mentioned, like uh, hopefully, you know, like our impairment's going to slow down. And so we're going to like, you know, build websites that, you know, you're going to be using down the road and you, you won't feel like uh, locked out of your, your own content. Much, so. Yeah, exactly that. And it's easy enough to now test on family and friends who might already be older than you or be at a different point in life. And also be aware that sometimes the impairments that we have are temporary things. Uh, sometimes you might break your arm, you might have laser eye surgery, right. yeah, all these things that yeah. they're fleeting, but they still have an effect. And these are the kinds of experiences that you'll suddenly realize how much you needed to use a website and how unaccessible it was. It's one of the things I think that in Eric Mayer and Sarah Watcher-Betcher's book, Design for Real Life, covers really well, is these situations of stress, these stress cases. And when you really need something is when you realize how much you need it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. Definitely because, um, yeah, definitely the whole thing with like, even temporary, like impairment, like, like breaking, like if you have an arm in a cast or whatnot. So um, I also want to talk about like, if you could it, explain like what, you know, there's a screen readers that I think people are more, more familiar with, but what other ways, uh, what other impairments and what, what, what ways do people use the web besides like a screen reader? And so I often map it to a few different particular areas. And I think that they map very well to usability areas. So things that affect eyesight. Um, so generally that's the things that you will see on a page or you cannot see on a page. 
You have things that affect your hearing, which are things that you can or can't hear on a page. You have things that affect your motor functions. So the, that's generally affecting your input types. Um, so whether you can use a mouse, whether you use a keyboard, whether you use uh, something like a, a eye scanning, eye tracking technology, um, or you could use a kind of a single button input. Um, and then also there's uh, cognitive impairments which you have. So these are the things that are the way that your brain works and the way that you read things, the way that you understand numbers and structure and letters. And then the other group is um, kind of, well, it's not really a group, but loosely I tend to group them together, is things like seizures. You don't want to cause people to have seizures. Um, and also um, thing, uh, motion sensitivity. So when you don't, when you've uh, got things that will create, like motion will make things, your experience very uncomfortable, make you queasy. And so all of these things are broadly sort of usability based and the accommodations you might make for these particular needs will also help with usability in general. Uh, it's simple things. Some of it's more expensive than others. So things like maybe you want to produce subtitles for your videos. That could be quite time consuming or expensive if you get a professional to do it. But if you do that, that's huge. If you get a, or if you've, say, putting up a conference talk, having a transcript, I mean, it's very time consuming, could be very expensive. But then if you're trying to convince someone of the business value of that, search engine optimization is brilliant. You suddenly got all the text as searchable. Yeah, it's, it's definitely time consuming and it is, it is somewhat costly depending on, on how you go about doing it, especially if it's. Uh, you know, very, I find the more uh, geeky or just more like industry specific that, that we do, like I, I find that, uh, you know, most uh, transcriptionists are, have a problem with the, 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 the weird words in our, in our, you know, in our vernacular and it's like, well, what does this mean? And so, so, so it takes, it takes a while too, but uh, yeah, it can be handy to get someone who has a background in the industry. <laughs> yeah. And so for our accessibility conferences that we do online that uh, we, we actually hire, uh, online captioning and so but and they always ask ahead of time for slides and you know what topics we're talking about and you know, I, you know and they're looking for the keywords they're looking for you know how to spell things correctly and all that stuff like that there's in other words they're being really professional about everything so, yeah but, but then there's there's well that's an example of how accessibility could be expensive sometimes there's also so many things that we can just integrate into our everyday processes that are free and take no additional time. Once you know about them, you do them in the same way that you might accommodate things like performance, like how you might decide, oh, I'm going to compress my fonts in this particular way because it's more performant. Um, you could do the same thing in, oh, I'm going to choose this particular font because, oh, it has all of the characters required for lots of different languages. It's not just the character set for Latin English. Um, and, oh, I'm going to check the color contrast when I'm creating this logo to see what the colors work as text color and background color to ensure that people with color blindness don't just see them merged into two muddy similar colors and making it very hard to read the text. So all these kind of little practices we can just integrate into what we do every day. Right. Oh, I, 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 that, reminds, that reminds me of like where I was going before I lost my train of thought. But... Uh, is that it amazes me that a lot of JavaScript engineers or front-end engineers, if you will, uh, they just don't know this HTML. Like you talked about making sure things are semantic and we have HTML5 
five now, but um, and also it, was, it worries me with uh, some of the JavaScript frameworks that we have. Like it, they, people throw around divs pretty easily, but you know, hopefully it's also like web components. So it's a bit, you know, you write one component, it doesn't, you know, you write well, you don't have to like, uh, it's easier than people maintaining a whole like website, you know. Uh, but uh, it, it amazes me how people just, you know, they don't know how to write semantic HTML and that gets you like most of the way there yeah. in terms of. It's, okay. it's huge and yeah. it's not difficult. And that's the thing. I mean, I find learning a lot of frameworks and things like that difficult and confusing. Maybe learning a new programming language can be difficult, confusing. HTML's pretty straightforward. It's, you're not having to worry about learning sort of different, wildly different syntaxes or different ways to punctuate and having fights about things like that. It's just about finding the element that's most appropriate. I think where that does become slightly trickier is things like templating. And that's why a using a lot of frameworks that especially create front end can, can end up with some of the worst HTML because they're trying to make one size fits all. And the nature of content is that not all of our content's the same. And when we come to interactive things, and because now these flashy web apps and things like that, they're bringing in whole new ways of interacting, whereas a lot of HTML was originally designed to mark up documents. But we can still use a lot of the existing interactive elements. I think that people go, oh, well, it's not suitable because it's for documents and throw it out without really understanding the value of the interactive things we already have. I mean, just putting a proper href on an anchor link rather than relying on JavaScript to get you to another place. The amount of sites I go to and I see, if you turn off JavaScript, you can't click a link. I mean, the basis of the web is links. You should be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, and I, am, I think it's, it's kind of amazing, like people, uh, you know, and, you know, I'm a big CSS nerd. And so there's lots of, uh, you know, there's a whole debate about CSS and JavaScript. And then, but at the same time, I wish we more people learned new HTML and I don't know, just buy some HTML flashcards or something. I don't know, just so they would know what the, what, what's available. Because I mean, once they know what's available, what an HTML element is supposed to mean. And like I said, it's not rocket science. You know, it's not like learning no JavaScript framework. It's just something you need to know in the back of my head. And so, so that we yeah. avoid divitis, you know, soup. And it's such a key part of accessibility because one of the main ways in which a browser's accessibility layer that communicates with things like assistive technology, so maybe a braille output, a screen reader, um, and other things like that, uh, switch controls, they interact with what the browser is finding is meaningful content. And if you are not giving it meaningful content, if you're not giving the content a specific meaning, if you're just going, oh, here's a div, here's another span, here's another div, here's another span, you're not saying, oh, well, here's the button where you actually submit the form on this site. Here are form elements, and this is your expected input. And now we're seeing, even with HTML5, we're seeing things like being able to input email um, specifically as an input type. Um, being able to input dates and things like that. Once the browser knows that's what you require for that input field, it can add a lot of flashy stuff on top of that, as browsers do, some of them consistently, some of them less so. If you think about something like the wheel you get on iOS coming up to scroll picking dates and things like that, compared to how it might appear just on a desktop browser, 
And those same advantages can be provided to assistive technology, allowing people to interact with it in a way that is most useful to them. Right. Yeah. I mean, back in the day, we had this issue of like people, I think, um, taking over the scroll bar from the browser because they didn't like the scroll bar for some odd reason. Like, I don't know why. Really uh, ugly. <laughs> yeah. Just like, oh, yeah, we wanted to, like, oh, why would you want to do that? Just, you know, and let people uh, just, and of course, they wouldn't, uh, uh, you know, dictate uh, you know like there's one news website i'm not gonna mention it but i have an ex and it's also it's not the news website's fault but i think it's a an extension i have and i have to go figure out which extension it is but because they don't code it correctly i can't go to this news website and scroll it, like they take over the scroll bar for some reason on this one site because there's some javascript complex and so but uh, but yeah and so but yeah, i don't you know again it's just i think the issue is just rely on the browser's uh, default inputs not that you have to like you know go crazy uh, and and just use the default styling of them, but you know just making sure that you actually use them. And then, like you said, like I think letting the browser do most of the work. Yeah, okay. well, and that's the, for CSS. Like it's so easy to style those elements. It's it's not tricky. I mean, back when I started out, you had to really write different CSS to work in different browsers, and that was the normal yeah. thing to do. We don't have to worry about that anymore. I mean, yeah, we've got to worry about different devices and things like that, but you can be fairly sure about how something's going to render reasonably consistently across browsers. And it, it might vary in size and shape and structure a little bit, but the rest is going to be fairly simple. And so we, you don't have to hijack things anymore. You don't have to do those kinds of hacks and workarounds. You just write a simple CSS for a particular element. And also that will help you with your style guide and stuff like that because you're, oh, all of the buttons look like this by default. I know that because I've styled it on the button element. Simple as that. You don't have to worry about which class name you're going to use that everybody can remember. Everybody knows it's a button. Yeah, and then, um, yeah, and it's a whole lot easier to style forms because I can, uh, form elements, because I think in like 2004, or it's like 2003, I like one of my talks I used to give was like the most depressing talk about web design I ever gave was the fact that you could not style uh, input forms uh, consistently across. Like, like you can, you can maybe do a little things with the, with the uh, radio button, but that was it. You couldn't even do anything with the select box or anything like that. So, and so people now have, so you see a lot of people um, still to this day, just hijack the, the select drop down box because they, they think it's ugly and, they can't design consistency. So but. Yeah, and the thing is that the select box has built into it accessibility so that people can tab between different options, people can move their mouse to choose between different options, people can press enter, people can click. If you're not using the existing HTML element for that, you then have to rewrite all of that functionality in JavaScript. It's just a waste of time. Right, definitely. And then, um, so I, I do want to talk about like uh, tools and services that are out there for people to check um, for accessibility concerns. I know um, Nobility is a, is a local company in Austin, Texas, and if you contact them, they can actually work with you and actually get people to test your websites that, that have disabilities and impairments and give you a report based off like how you know how, how accessible your sites are. And so that's really great. I know there's other companies out there that they'll do the same too and run reports and some of that too. But but are there any tools that uh, that you liked about accessibility testing that, that people want to use? Yeah, well, uh, basic, one very basic one would be the W3C validator. Uh, if you're writing good HTML, that will give you a good start. 
Um, there's also um, Wave, which comes in toolbar format for a lot of browsers as well. And that will give you a quick automated test on different accessibility things against the W3C's accessibility guidelines. And so it will tell you things like if the contrast between your background and foreground isn't right, if you haven't put alternative text on your images, um, if you re have redundant links where you've sort of got millions and millions of the same link going to the same place unnecessarily, um, and lots of little things like that. And it will also give you nice green ticks if it thinks you've done things well, which is quite nice if you need a bit of reassurance <laughs> that you're going along the right path. I think automated tools can be quite tricky because they don't often pick up on the human elements and you can only test one page at a time. So you're not necessarily going to pick up on things throughout um, somebody's journey through your site. But they can be pretty good for that. And then there's things like Tenon, which can also you can put into the build processes and things like that of your site so that you can sort of when you're really going in development, you can have tests that are, that are going against the accessibility guidelines and things like that and set your own too. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, and one of the things, you know, just to wrap it up, I think uh, one of the things like early on when I was trying to learn web design and, and learn about like all the different parts that make, you know, our industry up and, you know, we have cut to strategy, we have design, uh, we have like, you know, what's now front end engineering, but, uh, but I always thought that uh, UX, user experience and accessibility just went together, like, but yet there's like the separation between, between the two of them that there's user experience and accessibility, but I just felt like to be to be have a really great user experience, you actually have to be accessible. At this oh, point. absolutely. Uh, yeah. But I'd say it was it, the thing is that it's also a cross-cutting concern for every different role in inside a team, because it's not something developers can ignore. It's not something that the people writing the copy can ignore. It's not something people designing text or even picking typography can ignore. So it really has to be something that a whole team unites over in order to make something that's really valuable and really useful for as many people as possible. Yeah, yeah. agreed. That's awesome. Cool. Um, do you have any future projects you're working on? I know you're. I know you're probably just wrapping up the book still. Maybe I'm not sure. Yeah. The the book. Well, uh, yeah, the book is pretty much done, um, okay. so it will be released very soon. <laughs> I'm wary of of saying specific dates in case things don't go right but <laughs> very soon i promise and you can sign up to find out about that on the a book part website and what i'm working on the rest of the time is um as part of indie our tiny two-person social enterprise we have a web privacy tool that prevents uh, websites from tracking you um across the web and protects your privacy and that's an ios and mac app that has a strong web element to it <laughs> and that's what i spend a lot of my time working on at the moment cool. awesome and i do use the, the ios one for sure i'm looking at the mac one but mac has one. but but thank you guys for doing that that's awesome oh, cool i'm so glad you use it yeah that's great cool uh and where can people find more about but these projects and find you on on social media and all that stuff uh, you can find me at lauracalbag.com. My surname is K-A-L-B-A-G. Uh, I'm Laura Kalbag on Twitter and near enough everything else. And our website is indie, ind.ie. 
and better, our web privacy tool is better.fyi. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This is really good fun.